Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forged in the Dark Games and their designers. I'm Nichelle, she, her, and I will be your host for today's episode. And today we're going to sit down with our guest Michael Lowe to talk about the game Story RPG and the first adventure arc for it called Starsworn. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Hi, I go by he, him, and yeah, I'm Michael. All right, so like I have been trying for days <laughs> not to like ask you questions and everything else after Ray introduced us. Can you just like tell us a little bit of your origin story and like what got you into design and just a little bit more about yourself? That's interesting. I like the idea of origin story. It's very, you know, it makes you think of all the comic books you read when you were 11. Yeah, okay. I don't know if I can give myself quite that epic background, but um yeah, I mean, I've been playing role-playing since I stayed up all night playing, I think it was something like Second Ed when I was 11 with Sean Dove of andthankyouforflying.com. He became a comic book artist and he is my dream collaborator. Eventually, I'm going to have enough money to hire him to do art for amazing games for kids because he's brilliant. He's worked on things like Transformers and G.I. Joe. But yeah, I've been making games and playing games ever since. I think my current focus is um, is really just playing with kids and designing kid-friendly and parent-friendly games. One of the reasons I'm really into that is I have one, uh, <laughs> and he's eight. And it struck me when I was playing games with him that there were a lot of things missing from design that I wanted to see there. And I'm also really interested in democratizing gaming, which sounds odd. I guess that's an interesting verb to use. but I think storytelling is such a natural and delightful way to learn. Kids do it without any coaching at all. And RPGs, weirdly, are sort of exclusive. You know, gamers, once you're in, you're in. But getting in can be difficult. And I think kids are really ripe for playing and learning this way. And as a teacher, I've, I've ended up designing educational games that now I run full-time. At luckalegends.com, I teach writing through role-playing games. And I feel like it's such a powerful tool. And figuring out how to put that kind of power into the hands of parents and educators and kids is something that's really compelling for me. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. I love everything about that. And having a little one ourselves, it's one of the things that is so like you want to spend time with them and they are interested in things that you're interested in, mm -hmm. but some of those things aren't necessarily age appropriate or, <laughs> you know, we play blades in the dark. Mm. It's not necessarily something that you would say, Oh yeah, I'm going to let my five-year-old or I'm going to let my seven-year-old go ahead and play that. So <laughs> adjusting things or having something that's more family oriented or just more accessible at a younger age is always something really fun. It's funny that you mentioned Blades in that way. I think Blades, you know, one of the things that is so much fun about Blades is like, okay, you want to get your noir on? Let's go. Let's just, let's roll around in it. Go hard. And that's great. You know, it's a wonderful pitch and like, you know, it's a very immersive world. I think one of the things I'm very interested in is I'm really interested in nonviolent design and nonviolent storytelling, because I find, you know, I, I sort of realized in my own storytelling, when this happened when I shifted, I had a group for my son and some of the neighborhood kids, and we shifted to online when the pandemic hit, 
And I thought, okay, I've been running this, you know, homebrewed thing that works great at the table. It involved Lego minifigs and it was amazing. And it wasn't going to translate to a digital space. And so I said, all right, I'll go for something traditional. I'll run some 5e and find out what resources are out there. And very quickly I realized, okay, every one of these stories revolves around hurting people. And I had a deep thought about that. And I was like, you know, when I run for adults, I very often create moral dilemmas in every one of my games. You think you're doing right by, by sort of seeking out violent solutions to your problems, but then you find out that you're actually the problem. You're creating problems or doing, doing ethically problematic things. And you have to kind of question your motives and your approach. And I was like, well, running that for kids is almost traumatic. It's a setup, right? You're saying, okay, you want to go have fun and be victorious. And this game sets you up to go into combat, right? And then you find out that's a terrible thing to do. Gosh, that's really kind of emotionally difficult. And so I started thinking, well, what makes a story great? And the answer is struggle. And that got me into designing games that centered around things like, oh, I, I run a game for my uh, writing camps where kids play monster teenagers in a high school. And, you know, you, you should see the panic attacks they have when they're trying to get to class on time or complete the, uh, you know, the lab practical where they're supposed to animate a tiny clay golem and then debate with each other whether they're going to try to smuggle out their laden mannequin, which is a weird reference to a book I love. <laughs> and like try to try to run off with it. So yeah, I'm very interested in not just how to like invite kids into the the game space, but even with adults, create games where the point of the story is relationships and drama and all the interesting intricacies of, you know, being a person, right? Um, whatever kind of person you are. It's about the story, yeah. not so much the the action. Yeah. I mean, you can punch up a story anytime by creating deadly drama, but I often think that that's when, you know, if I default to somebody's going to start a combat, sometimes I think I'm just being a lazy storyteller. <laughs> like I just needed to jazz it up. I'm like, okay, I got to do something real quick. All right, drama, here it is. So I've been pushing myself on that and uh, all my games have become pretty nonviolent. So coming back to blades what mm. initially introduced you to that because that's a very different setting from what you're currently creating right now yeah and going from the the conversation of like violence and non-violence well what's interesting there is that's it's funny that you say that because i i think you know depending on how much design somebody's done you look at games for different things and for me what was compelling about blades i really like a lot of the mechanics I like the way downtime functions. I got introduced through a, a game that was a hack of Blades, uh, Shibuyan Knights, which is by my buddy Mo Poplar at Ashy Feet Games. And um, it's a much more sort of teenage, steampunky, family-friendly kind of a game. But the thing that I really loved about it was the dice pool mechanic. And we ended up introducing the dice pool mechanic into a game we were working on, Hold Fast Station, and I really love, I can't, I can't help myself. I, I don't, I don't mess with other dice anymore. I'm, I'm like all D6s all the way. I'm like, if, if it's not in your home already and I have to ask you to buy a thing, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to find some other mechanic. So I love that Blades is roll dice. And for kids, something great about that uh, dice pool mechanic is find me the high die, right? 
There's no adding, there's no subtracting. It's very quick. I roll the dice, my high die is a six, I'm succeeding. Four to five, okay, I did it, but there's a problem. One to three, oh man, I bailed. What's gonna happen next? So that was a very welcoming and I thought a brilliant way to mechanize something that in PBTA with the adding, that can be a little bit more, especially for the smaller ones. You know, if your kid's eight, they're adding the two dice, no problem. But you know, if you've got a six-year-old at the table, that high die, they can, they can read the six and they know what's going on. So I love that mechanic and totally jumped in with both feet on that. Going into game design, especially for children, mm. what age group are you? I know that you have it written on there, like ages like four to 99, which <laughs> I just absolutely love because I think gamers and just everyone in general has a little child within them at all times. But sometimes they're just not you know, used or they, they're there for other aspects of creativity and imagination. Something that I found with our son is he's getting to that age where he's beginning to understand the impact of decisions. Mm -hmm. So like reaction versus responses, mm -hmm. pros and cons of every single thing. And so Doing an RPG or something, especially with the six-sided die mechanic from Blades as well as multiple other games, you really do find that it's very easy to help teach them that aspect of, yes, something happened, now what's going to happen because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one big thing that I, I've been learning, and to be fair, Stories RPG is built on an engine that I've been playtesting with kids for the last two years as part of my Luck of Legends writing camp. I've tested it to death and kids love it. But there's a bunch of different things that kids have taught me that they both want and need in a game system. So one big deal is always discussing outcomes. So they'll make a roll and we'll say, okay, so you got a triumph and a trouble, right? So let's talk about what kind of troubles might work in this situation and would be good for the story. And making it clear that there's agency in the choices they make, that it's their story as well as mine, that we're sharing the table and that they have control. And then also helping them understand that having a trouble and even failing a role isn't something that is disastrous, but rather adds to the story and gives us more to do. I coach kids a lot on this. I'll be like, all right, think about your favorite story. And some kid will be like, yeah, I really dig Harry Potter. Like, okay, great. What if he'd had a really easy life and his parents were alive and he just went to school like normal and everybody thought he was cool and no Voldemort. And they'd be like, that'd be lame. I'm like, exactly. And they go, oh, because it's interesting to me that, you know, there's been some work done on RPGs as therapy, right? And one of the things that I think make them so powerful is they are fully emotionally engaging. And anybody who is a lifelong educator will tell you the most important thing for any classroom is to have kids on the edge of their seats, really excited to be there and enthused about what they're learning. And the second thing is for them to have trust in both the instructor and each other. And those are things that RPGs build, which everybody who's done the work on therapy has identified. It's a really powerful and transformative experience. There's even been some cool neuroscience. I just got nerdy lately and I've been reading entirely too much. <laughs> but uh, they've found that 
imaginative experiences can actually shape architecture in the brain. Yeah, it's something that my undergrad thesis was on. Oh. It was a capstone project. I think I mentioned it to you in Discord when we were talking about what to discuss during this podcast episode. And it was so interesting because most of the studies are like really big publications and things mm -hmm. like that. When it comes to tabletop RPGs, mm. there's not even a lot of separation between role-playing games like video games or tabletop RPGs. And so finding research that was very much only referring to tabletop RPGs and then also looking at the positives. Yeah. It was really, really hard to find, but they have found studies that People especially, and one of the things that they used was D&D, because &D, for the study, it was one of the most readily accessible games that people play. And they, they find that people who engage in such a story at a table mm -hmm. are more empathetic of other situations and perspectives than the average person. Well, you know, as an ELA teacher, that's that to me, that sings because... Absolutely. You know, one of the big things in ELA is why, why are you teaching? You know, what's the point in teaching, reading and writing? There's a lot of things that you can say, but one that is very important at the young ages is teach people to be someone else. Teach them to understand the world from a different perspective. And, you know, I think anybody who's been a lifetime gamer can tell you they've learned a lot about both who they would like to be and how to change who they are and also about others by playing characters. It can be both very freeing and also very educational. And, um, you know, for me as a teacher, I've been blown away by the amount of really intense writing and engagement in world building kids are willing to, to do. And, you know, I've built a lot of mechanical ways to incentivize it into the world but also sort of advanced understanding of other people's emotions. You know, my kids now build flawed characters from the get-go. Most kids, when they begin, they're creating a list of things their character can do, but not a list of who they are, who they're connected with, what motivates them, their worries or flaws. Kids very quickly can be coached into learning that, and it becomes a really great way to have discussions about both personal issues, but also school, right? Like, okay, so you got a problem. We can work through this. Let's talk it through. It's been really powerful for me. I've got a kid right now who's he's been bugging me to read. He's got a, almost 100 pages worth of novel. He's 12. <laughs> that he has uh, written. And this is a kid who a year ago was writing, you know, a paragraph for assignments. And they're all based on game right. worlds that we built together. And he's brought in every character from every series. He's very, very epic in scope. But, you know, to me as an educator, that's super compelling. It's a huge amount of, of transformation and a huge amount of ownership. You know, there's a lot of pride involved in kids getting to write the world. And um, it's also a different approach in terms of how I approach design. I'm not the, uh, the classic GM who I'm in charge. I don't like even the word GM. I'm the storyteller. I help the story get told. But everyone else is a storyteller too. And anything my kids write, they know the rule is if you write it, it's in the game and we'll negotiate how it fits in the game in case there's any conflict with other people's stories, but it's a collective table and that's a different approach. And it's very important for me as an educator to give a lot of agency to kids and control. Having agency 
I think is also something that's very unique to Blades, as well as a lot of Forged in the Dark systems, because Mm -hmm. if a person is unfamiliar with it, there has been no agency given in any system that they have played before. Whereas a lot of times if somebody has been steeped in certain systems and they come to Blades or they come to a Forged in the Dark system, and all of a sudden it's very much a communicative and collaborative experience, it does take them a while to essentially get untrained and retrained in how it operates and understanding, oh, I'm not against anyone here at the table, and I'm not against the person who is guiding the fiction. Mm-hmm. They're just simply here to make sure that we all have fun and enjoy a safe um, environment to explore a story in. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. And I love how you express that in Star Wars with the uh, drawings of like the activity coloring pages. For our audience, um, Star Sworn has several pages to where you can pick aspects of where the adventure or the story goes by coloring in some of the pages. So like one of them shows, it looks like a carnival and it has little stars next to some of the activities. Like if you want to go check out the archery, color in that star and that's where we will take the story next. And I love that aspect that you're teaching children this aspect of agency and control, but also having it in a way that gets them more so engaged because, well, now we're coloring. Now we're changing up the activity a little bit. Now we're switching roles or changing perspective for this new scene. I've really been interested. It's it's the coloring piece I was very excited about. All the art is done by Rob Hebert, uh, he's at Nerdy Paper Games, and his stuff is amazing. And, you know, when when we started the conversation with Rob, I was like, okay, Rob, listen, I want this to be something that screams, please color me to any kid, you know, where it hits the table because you're doing something that's print on demand, which personally, I have a lot of love for print on demand because as a parent, I'm looking for something that is convenient. And if I have to leave the house or if I have to order it, if there's anything that gets in the way of having it in my hands when I want to put it in front of my son, it's going to make it more work for me. And, you know, you're a parent. Anything, you know, the higher the barrier gets to engagement, the less chance there is that it's going to happen. Or that by the time you get something ordered and it arrives and they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I was totally interested (laughs) in this now. And it's like, okay. I'm done with that. Yep. Yes. That's exactly it. So there's that aspect. And I have an ongoing conversation with several of my designer friends about how to get the hobby into the hands of people who haven't had a personal experience. And we've been talking a lot about the concept of ambassadors. A lot of Things in gaming require an ambassador. Somebody has to bring you to the table and kind of translate the game experience for you. You can't just jump in and play the game. You have to see it played. So APs have had a huge role in doing that. And this game, there's a couple of different ways in which we've really built for multiple ambassadors being in. First off, I wanted a a format that would invite non-gamer parents to the table. So the coloring slash read aloud, choose your own adventure book approach is very much designed to be something unthreatening. 
And I, I'm very lucky my partner is completely uninterested in role-playing games and was my reader for this. And every time I handed her a copy, she'd go, too busy. Ugh, I can't even look at it. You, you got too many titles. You do it again. And when I finally handed it to her and she goes, yeah, I'd print this off. I was like, okay, great. That's, that was my, uh, my clutch move. I was like, okay. The other piece as an ambassador is I'm so excited to be working in terms of Stories RPG and Starsworn with Daniel Hines of StoriesPodcast.com, which is the oldest, longest running, and one of the largest kids' storytime podcasts in existence. It's huge. And I actually listened to it with my son when he was growing up. And there are some, you know, can literally sing songs off the podcast. Don't ask me to because I won't right now, but I can. <laughs> oh, but if we do a roll off on some dice, I'm pretty sure I'll beat you. And in, in which case you'll have to sing for our audience at some point. Digital die rollers only is all I'm going to say. Otherwise, you can't prove it. I love my tabletop. I, I love my tabletop, but I've been in the digital space with kids for a long time. and We do roll a die and there's a lot of shrieks when the die roll up. But anyway, Daniel is doing an AP on his podcast of his series, Max Goodname. So Max Goodname is a very popular series, but he was very honest about it. His podcast is usually he writes, and he has a lovely narrator, Amanda Weldon, uh -huh. who's got the most incredible voice and does all the music and the read-alouds. And uh, Max Goodname is one of the few series he did where he had multiple voice actors. And he was like, I just can't, you know, everybody's on me all the time to get Max Goodname episodes out, and I just can't get everybody to record, and it's a pain. And he said, but they'd come through for a game. And so Starsworn is going to be released monthly, and there are going to be new chapters in the Starsworn adventure arc. We're calling them chapters in a larger book. Uh -huh. And there's going to be a parallel series of actual plays on the podcast. So every month, there'll be an episode, and every month, there'll be another chapter released. And there's some crossover. You, you end up seeing Max Goodname and his crew and having been in there, and there'll be references in the podcast to things that happened in the chapters and vice versa. I was about to ask if you were going to have any like little voice clips Are that a parents could play at the table on their phone and, you know, give voice to the frog witch oh, and yeah. the other characters that you mentioned. And they're just the, the little voices. Our son has been very big into zero G. Mm. Essentially, it's home alone in space. Oh, there you go. Oh, gosh, that's great. I love that. That's a that's a wonderful elevator pitch. I'm full in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's amazing. And it's set on this little kid and it goes through his adventures. And there's actually three books. It's only audio. It's not an actual printed book, I don't think, but that might be coming out. And I think book three just recently came out. I will have to find the information so it can accompany the podcast into you. But oh man, he has I can't he wait. has listened to those over and over and over. And the best part is of like it's it's the same thing as as listening to a story as playing a game. You get to learn real life. Yep. So he was asking questions on, well, what does zero G mean? What what do you mean he gets to be stopped in a corridor because he has nothing to bounce his body off of? Physics, you know, <laughs> physics. Yep. And so we have been teaching him physics and things, and I can't wait to pull something like this game 
Mm. and to introduce that to him and, and see what he does with it. I would love to hear because, you know, as a parent, there's always the content. I have a lot of my, uh, my camp games. I try to access a lot of like real world learning. Right now I'm running one called Knights of the Microbiome, which mm-hmm. has been geeking me out because all of the, the kids are playing different microbes in the microbiome of a person's body. And they are all part of knightly orders who defend the body from invaders. Oh my goodness, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, they're about to they're all about to head to the gut for uh for because all these different areas are suffering right now. Clearly something's wrong with the body. And so there's a question of like what's what's going on? And the gut is where, of course, you know, the giant microbial metropolis resides. But yeah, I also think there's so much opportunity. I use PBTA moves in my game because I think they're a very helpful way to frame problem solving for kids. You know, I don't specifically include combat as a move, but there's influence, right? Get people to believe you, get people to listen, get people to change their minds. There's getting physical, run, jump, swim, climb, lift something heavy. There's uh, casting a spell because you've got to have some magic in there. Get creative. Kids always love that. Oh, it's great. And then there's always figure it out, right? What's the answer to my question? How do we deal with this issue? And providing different ways to attack a problem and then walking kids through, okay, here are your options for how to solve the problem. What do you know about your character that would allow them to have some agency to do one of these things? What are you good at? What's your character good at? How do they approach problems? We're stat-free. It's all narrative descriptions. And you activate lines from your story to build your dice pool. So let's say your character has an irrational fear of being out of control, which sounds terrible, right? Most kids do struggle with that, of not knowing something or not being in control of a situation. One of the things that I really have enjoyed figuring out how to do as a designer is lean into helping kids with the things that they struggle with most. So example, a lot of kids want to model sort of perfect heroes. And for them, it's the idea that what you can do and this idea of heroism, which I think is kind of almost a, I don't want to call it a cultural poison, but a cultural problem that I think a lot of our narratives create for kids. Heroes are framed as larger than life They solve problems. What defines them is what they can do in the world physically and what powers they wield rather than who they are as a person and who they care for and how they're connected. So one really fun thing about having no stats, but rather narrative tags is something like a downfall. One of my favorites is I have a kid who's a very exuberant person. (laughs) And one of his tags for his baby dragon in one of our, in Monster High, was I have a really hard time keeping my energy under control. He was hyperactive. And he ended up using that to build dice pools in almost every single situation he needed to make a move. He was like, well, wait, I got a lot of energy. And I was like, yeah, no, that applies here. And he'd be like, cool. And it was reframing, you know, this is not necessarily a weakness. It's just Dash from The Incredibles. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Your qualities as a person, even if they're framed as as being problematic, are still going to be strengths in certain situations. Absolutely. And it's that giving perspective to children of saying, yes, in some contexts, this would be considered by society as something negative, Mm -hmm. but that 
isn't technically negative. And here's how you can use it to benefit yourself and those around you. And it's a it's a wonderful thing. And I do have a question about that. Yeah, like, please. Since you've been playtesting this for two years with children, yep. what is a mechanic or what is something that has ended up being in the final game that you did not expect going in? that the children have essentially brought to your attention? I mean, every mechanic is something that kids created ultimately, because all of this I was discussing with and building with kids as I went. It's gone through so many iterations. I have about, oh gosh, at this point, six different games that I let kids pick from online, and each of them has become its own beast. Some of them have their own specific setting-specific rules and agreements. One of them is the concept of staging up successes. So it's not in chapter one. In chapter two, you end up getting your, your star sworn. You go to the frog witch because you need to find out what your star sign, because the stars fall and give their magic to certain individuals. And if you don't know what your star sign is, chances are you can cause trouble with the powers you don't know you have. So they go to the frog witch to find out, and the kids get to write the, the fable behind their constellation. And there's a sample fable that's provided for a kid they pick up along the way. And uh, I won't say too much. And the mechanic, and this is interesting because it's funny, I, I gave this to Dan. You know, I said, here, here are the star signs, here are their powers. And he looked at them and he goes, they're too powerful. And I said, now see, that's a very classic win-lose approach to game design. You look at a power and you say, what can it allow someone to do? So example, I can fly. Oh gosh, that's too powerful. It's going to let you do anything. Well, technically, it's just another line in your story. You activate it to gain a die when there's something dramatic happening. Kids love to be able to have unrestrained creativity. And the more conditions you put on, you can't have this ability. You can only have that ability, but only in these circumstances the more frustrated they get. They're like, yeah, but I want to be a time wizard. The more adult the game becomes. Well, and that's funny. Isn't that an interesting way to frame it? The more adult the, the game becomes. I would say the more we remove agency. Because I feel like that's a mistake we make about maturity, right? We think that being adult means you lose agency. I think it means you lose creativity. You stop thinking about interesting ways to solve the problem because you think there are too many things stopping you. You have too many buts and not enough ands. Society and the world around us shape and scaffold what we feel is acceptable. Mm -hmm. And for children, that scaffolding really isn't in place. For mm. children, that scaffolding is provided by parents, by friends, by educators, by mm -hmm. people they look up to, or people that express interest in them, by their peers. And Knowing that you can move scaffolding around to suit you is something that, whether you're a child, adult, in therapy, living your life, it is this something that I think most people don't understand of like, I can change that. Yes, you can change that. Yep. One thing is, you know, I sorry, I explained to him, I was like, yeah, mechanically speaking, you can tell me that you are a time mage and you can stop time and reverse it. But mechanically, you're still only getting one dice. But that's the kind of story you want to tell. As a kid, we shouldn't stop you from telling it. You should be free to tell the story the way you want to tell the story. 
Mechanically, the resolution will work the same. The one that I had to create for the epic moments of we really can't afford to fail, to give kids also a little bit of a fail-safe way to fix a role that really hurts, right? Some epic moment and they roll a fail and they're like, <gasps> and there's a lot of emotion. If you don't want to have them invoking the X card every time, and this is something we, we discussed and they helped me develop, it's raise the success once per game. So a lot of abilities come, you know, if it's a very impressive ability, it's something next level. For example, in one of my games, RimWorld's Researchers, where they play xenobiologists on the far-flung planets at the edge of space researching new species. And they love building their own species and writing page after page about like the environment. But one of the things you might be able to do is raise the success once per game on a role to use empathy with a creature which doesn't communicate the same way you do. Or raise a role uh, once per game on a role to fix technology because you're really good at tech. So in Star Sworn, it becomes things like raise a success once per game to disappear from notice if you have the beggar's cloak and you can go invisible. Or raise a success once per game to get physical because you have the sign of Mother Bear. And when you're protecting someone you love, your strength is that of a bear. So the cool thing is this gives them both an out and also a resource that allows them some agency over plot and to choose dramatic moments to use. And it's very mechanically rewarding because they can even take a six and turn it into a double six, which, you know, can have awesome implications for the for the story. It's all about winning. And that's the thing that's interesting to me about the way adults play. We like to lose. And we also like to create win-lose situations. And I found as a designer, creating opportunities for joy and for winning and for complexity and drama, but positivity. I mean, it's a game and it's an escape. And it's a wonderful place for you to get a little bit of emotional energy back for tackling some of the issues in your own life that aren't as clear cut. And so creating that opportunity for kids is huge for me. Yeah, the socio-emotional skills that children learn through gaming like this is so impactful that I don't think that we really see the true benefit. And having such a card as the S card or having the X card, I love that you included the X card oh, yeah. in this. Got of, <laughs> of teaching that, of like knowing that it is okay to not be okay with something. Mm-hmm having that control of consent as well in a story yep. is so, so important. I started my Blades experience and I wasn't aware of such a thing. And there was a situation that happened at one of our first tables that was very negatively impactful and it was very traumatic. And I don't think that I ever want somebody else to go through something similar to that. Well, it's just like, you know, you were discussing with your capstone project. This is, <laughs> imagination is real, right? So the stories we tell and that we engage in fully have real impacts on our minds and hearts. And that means that you have to be very thoughtful about how you approach them. For me as a teacher, I'll be honest, I think teaching and, and education in general, they're another form of collaborative storytelling game. And usually they're very badly designed. You know, classic schoolrooms. They're, they're just really badly designed games. 
And the people who are doing well in those classrooms, whether they're students or teachers, they're really experienced players who are kind of like bending and breaking rules in the ways they need to, to have the experience they need to at the table. So as an educator, you know, my version of the X card was always day one. I uh, defined myself. I said, listen, I am not your boss. I am not in charge of you. I'm not a police officer. I am in no way going to hurt or harm you. My only job is to help. So I am going to let you pick what you want to learn and help you learn it, master the skills that you're into. I'm going to try to give you as many options as I can. I'm here to build community. And that's the approach I take to game tables as well. With kids, it's all about two things, which is agreement and engagement. And I've been very explicit with all my classes. You know, we start with, all right, like we're going to agree on what's going to go down in this and we're going to negotiate when, it, when we get to two things that disagree, we'll figure out how to make it work together. I will not make those decisions. You will have to talk to each other and decide for yourselves. And giving that agency is really critical to me as an educator, because if it doesn't belong to them, they will never feel proud of it and they won't learn the kind of agency they'll need in life. I do think games can have huge impacts, not just social, emotional learning, academic learning, personal learning, empathy. There's a million different ways in which kids grow. Also just, you know, bearing up in the face of drama and challenge. And also finding, like you said before, like finding nonviolent resolution. I have a blog about this that kind of gives my particular thoughts on the matter, but I am, um, it's on luckoflegends.com. My thing is, I was raised by an evolutionary biologist, and a lot of the problems that we're experiencing globally are problems we're experiencing because we are still using problem-solving strategies that worked for most of human history that are really maladaptive now. All of our movies, there's some giant problem. There's always a person you can find, and it's their fault. And if you just punch them enough, the problem will be solved because you punched people. One thing I often do with kids, you know, the first time some kid's like, okay, well, I want to punch this guy. I'm always like, all right, when was the last time in real life there was a problem and you punched somebody and things got better? And everybody immediately, all the kids are like, ooh, no, you know, they're immediately able to identify that. I'm like, okay, so we've established that this is probably not going to make things better, right? What's another way you can handle this? Because that should be the last option, if an option at all. And I argue that a lot of the larger problems we need to solve globally, um, you can't punch climate change. You can't punch systemic racism. You can find racists and punch them, but that's not actually going to solve the overall overarching problem. In fact, it's probably going to give some more fuel to further violence, and it's going to cause more trauma for more people. Trauma tends to cycle. And if you don't break that cycle by attempting a different solution, then you're kind of doomed to repeat it. So it's very important for me to coach kids in, all right, when stuff goes down, look for root causes, start talking to people, figure out how to get as much agreement as you can from as many different stakeholders as you can, try to get creative, think of a lot of different options. Don't default to, hey, who's the villain? Because very often that kind of thinking is exactly what led to the problem in the first place. Yeah. And that's something that we've definitely been personally doing with our son. It's it's a violence is always a reactive thing. 
and it's an escalation. Mm -hmm. And having a response Mm -hmm. is not violence. And so knowing the difference between those two of like, all right, so the Lego thing that you just spent 30 minutes on broke <laughs> yep. because it wasn't sitting fully on the table yep. and now we're upset. Okay, let's think about this for a moment. Let's not have a reaction. Let's have a response. Mm, we are sad, yes, that the Legos <laughs> fell and the, yes. the thing broke that we made oh. and it hurts so bad. It does. But what can we do to make it better so it doesn't happen again yeah and also knowing that it is okay to have a different response and also not to be reactive yeah it just comes down to consent of like i am not okay with this situation i'm really upset even learning to articulate Gosh, I'm frustrated. I mean, one of the coolest things for me in playing with kids and in learning how to teach kids has been with games, has been helping them talk to each other. It's been really cool watching, you know, because one kid will be like, well, wait, that can't be true because in my story, I said this. And the other kid will be like, well, but I like my story and you can't change it. And then it's like, okay, so you guys have come to a disagreement. So we have some options. Let's talk about how you guys want to negotiate what becomes true in the game and also, you know, what is true in your particular story. Your story doesn't have to change, but the part that we experience in the game might have to. So let's talk about what that agreement looks like. I have a strong policy of I have no vote. You guys have votes. I have no vote. And you have to come to agreement. Even if one person doesn't like it, they either have to change their mind and you have to help them change their mind and get their consent, or we can't move forward. It's not a majority rules, and, and you know you just have to roll with it. And teaching those skills has been huge. I feel like I've, they've taught me a lot about how to approach consent and collaboration. And I really love where it brings us, because kids get really good at being, you know, riffing off each other's stories, incorporating elements, celebrating and uplifting each other. And as an educator, that's huge. Once you've got a learning community where kids are actively promoting each other, shouting each other out, we do shout outs at the end of every game, it it becomes this enormous positive feedback loop Mm -hmm. where the more you do it, the more you want to do it, and the more you trust each other, the further you go together. So I've been really enjoying that aspect. Oh, man. I think you and I both could just pretty much talk about that all day long (laughs) because that's something that's like so personal to me and my personal story as well as you know talking it over with my son and just Mm. different things and then also like where it has taken me as a game designer and a content creator of like how do I want to tell the stories I want to tell yeah and and how can other people influence my aspect of the story to tell an even bigger story that's bigger than all of us and It's one of the most fascinating things about tabletop RPGs. And I wish that there was more studies and and things to where people take a look at it. I think think it's coming. Tabletop RPGs are really starting to have some space. People are starting to realize that they have real quality. I mean, like I said, I felt like a, a fool when I finally started designing and seeing what kids were doing. I have all these kids writing page after page who normally complain about a sentence and you know i sort of facepalmed 
when I started doing this, I was like, why have I not been designing RPGs for kids for years? I know how emotionally compelling it is. Obviously, I'm designing these things in my spare time because they're so compelling for me. And, you know, I think they're one of those tools that is just coming into its own as, uh -huh. as an approach to doing some very complicated, nuanced things with teaching and learning. It's interesting because, like, I do think there's been a huge shift in the space, which I find very exciting, towards collaboration and cooperation. And um, just personally, it was interesting. I gave a draft to Dan, my collaborator of Stories Podcast, and he took a look and he's like, well, you didn't explicitly say that, you know, the storyteller is the one who decides the troubles. And I said, yeah, actually, I explicitly said that you should discuss what outcome makes the most sense and would be the most fun with everyone at the table. And he's like, really? And I was like, yes, really. You, you, everybody should be like, yeah, you know what? Given that role, this would be the coolest thing to happen. Exactly. And it's also a great way to onboard people, you know, designing it for non-gamers. I try to be very cognizant of, I don't want to tell you a bunch of rules. I'm going to say right now, do this. Okay. You ready for the next thing? Okay. Try this. Read this aloud. Okay. Discuss some stuff. Decide on this list of, of outcomes. Which one would be the most fun? And um, I, I find it very exciting to imagine that you can build up to some higher level mechanics and there will be more as the, the story, the Starsworn arc goes on. I'm going to, you know, add little bits and pieces of some of my nerdier, you know, mechanics later on when people are comfy with all the basic stuff. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm so looking forward to seeing where it goes. Thank you. I'm super stoked. We're super nerdy. Dan and I are, are deep in conversations about like longer story arcs and who we're going to pick out of the story from early on, who comes back through and, mm -hmm. you know, all that fun stuff. Oh my gosh. Like I said before, I think you and I could talk all day, but I <laughs> we've, we have come short on time. So thank you so much, Michael. Of course. For being here today and joining me in this lovely discussion of stories rpg all the insights and everything you've had it's it's been wonderful totally my pleasure thank you it's very exciting to be able to talk about something like this and i just really appreciate your approach and the fact that you've done so much investigation and, uh, and understanding of of education and the elements of play that allow kids to transform. I think the more people know about that, the better. And thank you so much for letting me babble about it. <laughs> of course. And if our listeners want to learn more about you or your games, where can they go to find more information? So luck, L-U-C-K of legends.com is where you can sign your kids up for classes. If you got anybody who struggles to write, but loves to tell a good story, or is just really into reading, and just, but doesn't want to write themselves. Bring your kids to me. And I promise the cool thing is it's all homeschool accredited. So they can get full credit for homeschool English language learning and write page after page, not because they've been told to, but because they want to. And then storiesrpg.com uh, by November 5th, both chapters of Starsworn, chapter one, which is free to download, print it yourself, play it with anybody who will stand still. And then chapter two, which will be the first of the paid chapters. And then there'll be one more every month for as long as we can, we can keep it up. And uh, storiesrpg.com will also have the actual play podcasts posted there as well from storiespodcast.com. 
And uh, yeah, that's me. And I've got an itch page too, but you know, if you're nerdy, you can, you can find me. Luck of Legends is the same <laughs> name. I got some adult games coming out in the spring. I'll be uh, releasing uh, Hold Fast Station, which is, it's actually, it was a stretch goal for uh, Stone Top by Strandberg. I've heard about that. Ooh. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's another zero prep game that's very highly collaborative. I try to design for folks who don't have necessarily hours and hours to prepare for their table every week and sort of scaffold folks into some sort of experiences that are more off the cuff. But yeah, that one's sci-fi and fun. And you can also find Michael on Twitter at LuckLegends, mm-hmm. all lowercase yep. as well. And uh, Instagram too. Gosh, I have more. I'm not, I'm not, you know, social media, I'm slow on this. For a long time as an educator, I was terrified of social media and stayed away. And so now as a developer and designer, I'm like, okay, I got to do that thing. It's, it's a thing that the kids do these days, right? Those kids. Well, I'm on Discord. I feel like kids, you know, most of my kids are like, man, Instagram, nah, we don't do that anymore. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I have been Nichelle. You can find out more about the Hacked in the Dark podcast as well as Hacked in the Dark designers as well as other game designers in the Blades of the Dark Discord, which I am a part of. I'm one of the moderators there. And yeah, you can check out Hacked in the Dark podcasts and all of that there, as well as our Twitter, where we do actual plays of quite a few wonderful games created by the community. And this has been a very special and wonderful episode of Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forged in the Dark Games and their designers. I'm Nichelle, and remember, when it comes to design, we all begin our journey in the dark. (laughs) 